Hello, and welcome everyone to today's episode of Concrete Credential. I'm Greg Lewis, Executive Vice President with the National Ready Mixed Concrete Association, and I'm thrilled to have Dr. Jeremy Gregory join us today. Dr. Gregory is the Executive Director of the Concrete Sustainability Hub at MIT, and he and his research team have developed an exceptional reputation when it comes to the science behind sustainability and resilience in the built environment and around community development. Jeremy, welcome to Concrete Credential. I'm pleased to be here. So I gave you a brief intro there, but I'm hoping that to get started for the podcast today that uh, you might be able to give our audience, the audience members who don't already know you and your work, a little bit more of your background and what you do at the Concrete Sustainability Hub at MIT. Sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, Well, the Concrete Sustainability Hub was formed in 2009, so we're uh, a little over 11 years old now at this point, and um, we're a multidisciplinary team of researchers who are looking at sustainability and concrete from many different perspectives. Um, We have about 12 or 13 graduate students and postdocs and about five or six um, principal investigators. And um, this includes people who are experts in material science, you know, looking at concrete and cement at the very small scale and trying to understand that to be able to improve its performance. We have people who have expertise in engineering uh, when it comes to buildings and pavements and uh, things that use concrete. Um, And then we also have people who look at economic and environmental aspects of concrete. And that's really important for us to be able to truly say what is the uh, sustainability of not only the material, but also the structures that use concrete. Um, So it's a team who really looks at sustainability of concrete from many different perspectives. It's a lot of brain power working on these issues, which is great, I think, for the folks out there that are concerned about issues around sustainability in the built environment and in the world of infrastructure development. There are a lot of, as you know, a lot of uh, definitions and I think different perspectives on what exactly sustainability is. But for the sake of this conversation, at least, how would you define or how do you define sustainability? Um, I really, from my perspective, sustainability just means that we want our world to last. Um, and uh, But we can think about that from many different perspectives, um, because our world has um, social systems, uh, which are, you know, mostly about people, ecological systems, which are about, you know, nature and the environment, and then also um, technical systems, you know, everything that, uh, you know, we as humans kind of build. And so we need to look at how those systems play together. And so sustainability can sometimes be about a lot of people associated with the uh, sort of natural environment and those ecological systems. And that's important. But of course, we also need people to thrive and to last. And um, in order to do that, that sort of technical or infrastructure part behind it is an important enabler of sustainability and making sure that our world lasts, but is also something that we can pass down to different generations. So that makes sense to me. And obviously, you and I have had numerous conversations about this and related topics. So I'm not surprised to hear you tee it up that way. I guess the next question, it seems obvious to me, at least, and I think for the folks who are listening to this podcast who have an interest in concrete as it relates to sustainability is why is it relevant? Why is concrete relevant to sustainability from from your perspective, Jeremy? Well, there's um, a couple different uh, aspects of how concrete is relevant to sustainability. Um, on the one hand, you know, we want 
people to be able to thrive, right? In order for them to thrive, they need to be safe, they need to be protected, and they need to live in places that will enable them to have uh, a, a robust livelihood. And, uh, you know, concrete's a real enabler of that. And there's actually been some research on this. There's a team that looked at um, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, which were created several years ago. It's about 17 or 18 different goals about alleviating poverty, you know, improving health, improving our cities. And they found that infrastructure is a key enabler of all of those different sustainable development goals. And infrastructure is broad there. You know, sometimes it can be pavements and bridges, but sometimes that can also be a electrical and, and water infrastructure. But concrete is a key part of all of those uh, different things, uh, you know, in one way or another. So we, we literally need concrete in order to make our society, you know, last for a while in a place that people want um, to live. But of course, when it comes to um, impacts on the natural environment, you know, the, the production of the concrete that we use, the most, most consumed building material in the world, that has an impact uh, on the environment. And in particular right now, when people are talking about climate change, you know, the production of concrete has a, a significant impact on the environment. So, um, we have a real uh, tension there in that on the one hand, we need concrete in order to create a sustainable society. But of course, it has this uh, impact on the uh, environment as well. And so it's, it's a real uh, tension there. And I think really represents the challenges of sustainable development uh, for society. You skirted around the topic of resilience, and I hope we'll have a chance to come back to that. But I want to, I want to drill down a little bit into this issue of environmental impact. As you pointed out, there is a concern, certainly among specifiers and folks who are making decisions about how to build their next building or, or develop their next infrastructure project. And you talked about that environmental impact. What are, from your perspective, Jeremy, the drivers of environmental impact for concrete? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, as I'm sure most of your listeners know that uh, concrete, it's a pretty um, basic material made up of just a few things, you know, sand, gravel, water, and then um, some kind of binder to hold it all together when it's mixed with water. And um, that binder is often uh, cement or um, Portland cement, uh, more specifically. And um, the, the when you look at the the weight of concrete and what how those different constituents contribute, it's mostly that sand and gravel or the the, the aggregates. You know, usually over eighty percent. And the cement in there is you know maybe on the order of like ten to fifteen percent by weight. But when you look at the uh, environmental impact of concrete, most of it is going to come from that cement, uh, probably about uh, 80% or more of the environmental impact, at least from uh, the standpoint of greenhouse gas emissions, is going to come from the cement. And that's because the production of cement is both energy-intensive and emits carbon dioxide as part of uh, a process transformation that uh, occurs. And so usually when it comes to the production of concrete and at least emissions that are greenhouse gas emissions, the cement is what's the real um, driver. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that we've found ourselves or continue to find ourselves, frankly, talking about 
more and more, it seems like every day, is is how do we address these issues? There's there's real interest, and in, I think a very motivated group of leaders within our industries, both on the concrete side and on the cement side, to continue to innovate uh, and improve our efforts as they relate back to those impacts that you just mentioned. And there are a lot of ways to do that, right? And and they're being tried in different ways and in different places and and by different groups try to sort of solve this issue. From the work that you've done and your colleagues and those working with you at MIT have done, what are you seeing, Jeremy, as the most promising approaches to lowering those impacts? Yeah, there's many different ways that we can um, look at opportunities to lower the impacts of producing both concrete and cement. And let me start with um, cement first. And in that case, um, you, you know, cement is produced in large facilities, and uh, the, a key part of them is that you have to heat up the, the cement to very high temperatures in a kiln, you know, on the order of 2,700 degrees Fahrenheit. And that, right now, we really have to do that with fossil fuels, whether it's coal or, or natural gas. So anything we can do to make those plants more energy efficient and also use alternative fuels, such as waste fuels, like uh, tires, uh, instead of those fossil fuels, that's that's going to help. Um, the other thing we can do is make what we call blended cements, where we substitute some other materials in there that don't have to be heated up to the high temperature. And an example of that is Portland limestone cements um, that are basically lower emissions for the same uh, performance. Um, so, so that's also another way that we can lower the impact of uh, producing cements. When it comes to making the concrete, uh, what we can do is use some of these, you know, lower impact cements, or we can use what we call supplementary cementitious uh, materials. And there are a variety of those, uh, including some waste materials like uh, fly ash from coal-fired power plants or slag from iron and steel production, and even ground-up glass that's a, a, is a waste material. So all of those are supplementary cementitious materials that we can use on their own or usually in a mixture with uh, cement, and that will help to lower the uh, production impacts. The last thing that's become kind of a more recent and interesting development is actually to both capture carbon at the cement plant. That is, you know, as CO2 is going out the stack, we can capture it, and then we can make use of captured carbon from cement plants or any uh, industrial source like power plants, and then use that captured carbon in the production of concrete um, or in the production of aggregates that are used in concrete or elsewhere. So that use of captured carbon is possible through this process called mineralization. And what's neat about that is that it takes this captured carbon and then through the chemical transformation of either the production of aggregates, the production of concrete, it locks in that CO2 into the uh, concrete. And so that's another really um, uh, interesting way to lower the environmental impact of both the cement and the concrete. So you bring all of those different innovations together, right, in some kind of way to continue to drive down those adverse impacts, right? We want to take advantage of all of the attributes, the strength and resilience and durability, long-term performance of concrete, but we want to do that without seeing the, the adverse impacts continue to, to potentially cause issues for the natural world, the world around us. And 
we talked about sort of in a very kind of larger sense, concrete and, and cement's impacts. But if we look just a little bit closer, Jeremy, as it relates to buildings specifically, I'm curious if you don't mind, give us a minute and, and give us your thoughts about how the, the building world, right, structures that use concrete, what are the driver's environmental impact for those structures? Yeah, well, um, evaluating the what we call the life cycle environmental impacts of uh, structures that use concrete, like buildings, um, requires us to take what we call a, uh, use a life cycle assessment, which is an approach where we quantify environmental impacts of the everything in that building's life, from cradle to grave. So, digging materials out of the earth to turn them into building products, and then using that building throughout its life, including uh, energy consumption. So associated with uh, heating and cooling the building, any kind of maintenance and repair, and also uh, damages that occur due to natural hazards, you know, like uh, like, like hurricanes or, or fires, um, and then anything that happens at the end of life. And when we do that, what we find is that, um, obviously, the, the impacts of producing the materials are uh, important, including concrete and anything else that goes in. But really, for most buildings, uh, the, the largest source of environmental impacts is going to be the what we call the use phase or the operation of the building and the energy associated with heating and cooling uh, those those buildings and uh, you know for a lot of kind of standard buildings over you know 50 60 year life that energy consumption is it can be 80 percent or more of that overall life cycle impact so when you look at that building structure it becomes really then a priority to try to lower that operational uh, impacts and um, what's neat is that concrete is something that can be used to actually enable those uh, reductions. That is that, uh, you know, we can design really energy efficient buildings using uh, concrete. Um, another element of the life cycle is, of course, thinking about, you know, what kind of uh, repairs are you going to have to do to a structure due to natural hazards? And we found that, uh, you know, for buildings that are kind of built in the more conventional sense, um, you know, just barely meeting the, the codes, but are in really hazard-prone areas, uh, you know, think of like Southern Florida or, or communities along the Gulf Coast, you can, over the lifetime of that building, you can be continuously doing repairs to that building. And so if you invest properly in a real hazard-resistant structure, you're not going to have to do that, and you're not going to have those uh, environmental impacts associated with that um, either. So, so building in a more resilient fashion getting it right the first time is, is definitely going to be something that's more sustainable. And to me, that goes back to the definition I mentioned at the beginning. Sustainability really means we want something to last. And so building it right the first time becomes important. You touched on a number of the ways to approach lowering those impacts. And I, I was up in Northern Virginia in Alexandria last week, and there is a, a major project underway where they've taken an, a hotel that probably was in operation for, I'm guessing, probably 60 years or so, a big concrete frame building that they have now uh, started work to turn that into a condominium a project, very high-end condo project in Alexandria. And so one of the things also, and if you want to talk a little bit maybe more about this or other options for lowering those impacts, how would you kind of flesh that out? Yeah, so so um, the way you go about lowering the life cycle impacts of the building is really going to depend on the context. 
Um, so what I mean by that is what's the location? Uh, you know, how does the climate affect the type of energy consumption that we need for um, the building? Also, obviously, does it does the location mean it's particularly susceptible to certain kinds of hazards, whether that be fire, floods, tornadoes, or, or, or hurricanes? So the kind of uh, mitigation efforts you're going to do will depend on that. But getting this sense of what the operational demands of the building are going to be, how much energy consumption is going to happen uh, throughout its life, and then what are the ways that we can create a solid structure in order to you know mitigate against uh, disasters, but also enable reductions of that operational um, the, the operational impacts associated with heating and, and cooling uh, the building. So I think that one of the tensions here is that there's a big push to try to lower the what we call the embodied impacts of the buildings, which is associated with the materials and the uh, construction of the buildings. But of course, it, it could be that a, a building that has a higher embodied impacts compared to normal buildings could have lower operational impacts. And indeed, there's there are standards like passive house construction where they're really about creating a, a super energy efficient envelope to lower those operational emissions. And that's, uh, you know, in the whole life cycle of the building, that's good. But we need to look at those things together to try to uh, optimize them to get the lowest life cycle impact uh, for the building. And of course, if we can lower the embodied impacts of the materials like like the concrete while also enabling those reductions that's a win-win and so i think that's where we really want to head is you know how do we use low carbon concrete but also smart and innovative design approaches to lower um, operational impacts uh, as well you talked about passive house which i appreciate there are a number of passive house certified multifamily projects now around the us several in the in the new york area specifically that are concrete projects that i think have been very successful award winning projects that perform exceedingly well uh, from an energy efficiency standpoint and you know as we talk about things like passive house or lead or ways to measure performance and ways to improve that performance you know the question comes up about what the goal is right where are we headed ultimately and one of the goals that has has start, sort of come to the fore here recently is net zero buildings right and Folks are talking about net zero now, both in terms of the, the use phase, as you pointed out, on energy efficiency and also on the construction, the, the embodied phase of the work, right, what those materials are made of. And you and I have talked about this, but we're actually going to put a, a program together, an online program in, in January called Pathways to Net Zero Buildings, and, and maybe we could talk a little bit about that. But can we achieve, from your perspective, net zero targets using concrete? And if so, how would you describe that effort? Yeah, absolutely. We can achieve uh, net zero targets using concrete. And as you mentioned, there's a couple different ways to think about this. One is on the operational side. And when people talked about net zero, that's usually what they meant um, was net zero on the uh, operational side, meaning that uh, the building has energy consumption, but you want to offset that re renewable energy consumption. So you're trying to get to net zero emissions associated with the energy consumption 
consumption for the building. And of course, one way to do it is just build a standard building, but then just have a lot of renewables, you know, solar, wind, uh, powering the building. But of course, people have figured out pretty quickly that, uh, you know, the more energy efficient the building is, then the less of those renewables that you need. And so that becomes then sort of the, the optimization challenge and one that I think a lot of engineering and architecture firms have really tried to meet. And it's kind of an exciting uh, process. And I think that, uh, you, you know, what I've learned from going to various meetings with you and talking to those folks and learning from them is that actually once you have that mindset, it's, it's not as hard as you think it is. You just sort of have to change your paradigm to thinking about how do I first try and improve the energy efficiency of my building, you know, optimize my systems, and then look at how do I get to net zero using those uh, renewables. So that's certainly and concrete can really be a, an enabler of that, particularly through the energy efficiency side. But because there has been so much of a focus on energy consumption, now uh, the architecture community, engineering, construction, they're really striving uh, now to net zero targets related to uh, embodied impacts. And we hear that from several entities, including the World Green Building Association and also the Architecture 2030 and Structural Engineers uh, 2050. They've all set uh, net zero targets for embodied emissions along with uh, operational. And those are usually targets to get there about 2050. Now, it seems like in the production of materials, it must be harder to reach net zero, right? Because you obviously have these burdens associated with producing the materials, and it's hard to offset those with renewables. But going back to our discussion about how we can store carbon dioxide in the concrete, you know, as long as we basically make sure we're using captured carbon from industrial sources that can offset the production of the concrete, and then we are going to be able to achieve net zero and possibly even net negative. Uh, and there's a lot of work now that's uh, advancing to try to show us the degree to which that's possible. But I, I definitely feel like it's realistic and that we can get there, um, particularly when it comes to concrete. So I think that's exciting. It's extremely exciting. The innovations that are happening, and you know, you're surrounded by a great group of thinkers up there in Cambridge, Mass, and there are folks on the on the West Coast, Silicon Valley, and, and elsewhere that are working some on some of these issues as well. I know you've got plans to go out there or, or to participate in the conference with some of the folks out there that are working on these issues. There's one thing that I that I'd like you to talk to a little bit, Jeremy, that I think would be useful for folks listening, and that is, you know, you mentioned mineralization, but we've we've also talked about carbon. I think carbon up is the term that you use, but how concrete that's exposed in its environment is actually capable of absorbing atmospheric carbon. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah, there's an element of the production of cement where it starts as what we call, you know, basically limestone or calcium carbonates. And during the reaction of transforming it into a byproduct called clinker, which becomes the cement, it emits CO2. And that's just part of that uh, chemical reaction that occurs. And what's interesting is that when we then combine that cement 
with water in the concrete, there's sort of this, this uh, uh, a natural process that occurs where the concrete then wants to absorb CO2 in the air. And it's kind of a slow process that takes place over time. But if you have a lot of concrete that's exposed to the air, then it can be um, pretty significant. And there have been uh, some studies that have been done recently to show that there is a lot of potential that if you have exposed uh, concrete to absorb uh, you know, significant amounts of carbon dioxide naturally in this carbon uptake process. In addition, uh, if we have concrete that's at end of life, we can crush it up and then spread it out, and that increases the exposed surface area of the concrete, and it can absorb even more carbon dioxide. So there really is a lot of potential then for concrete to sort of just naturally absorb carbon dioxide that's in the air, which is something that we're we're, we're looking for right now from just about any source that we, we can get. Yeah, so cool. Uh, so, so, you know, we're going to circle back to where we started this conversation as it relates to sustainability, and you defined that, and we talked through some of the steps that ultimately, I think, can allow or do allow concrete to perform sustainably, but the kind of overarching question, I think, is can we achieve sustainable development using concrete? I think the answer absolutely is yes. And the reason, as I mentioned at the beginning, we're going to need it, right? There is a whole, the, the, the pace of urbanization around the world is really significant. We're, we're building and expanding cities like crazy, you know, as there's this shift from uh, people living in rural communities to more urban communities. And, um, you know, in order to create the, those urban communities, we're going to need concrete. And for me, that's, it's, it's important because that's a matter of equity. Equity, right, like it's, we we can't in uh, the developed world say that that other other countries that are developing don't deserve the same standard of living that we have. They absolutely do. But of course, with that increased standard of living from them comes more consumption. So we we need that sustainable development to make life better for people in developing countries, but it's going to come at a cost of increased uh, environmental impact associated with all kinds of materials, but including concrete. So on the one hand, we're going to need that development, but as I've shown, we can do that while also lowering the environmental impact associated with that development. Um, that is, we can lower the impact of the concrete that's developed by a, a variety of means, and we can also lower the impact of the structures that use concrete, as we mentioned with buildings, whether that's making them more energy efficient or um, resilient. And so I think, frankly, we don't really have another choice. We really, we, we sustainable development has to be our future, and we just have to make that uh, priority. And that's really the decision that we have uh, as a society is whether we're, not, we're going to do that. I see a lot of momentum in that direction, and so I'm hopeful that we will. It's an excellent summation, I think, of this topic in general, Jeremy. And what I've done in past podcasts is offer for our guests to make some closing remarks or, or what they would like the audience to leave this podcast with in the way of information. Is there something that you'd like to add or mention for the audience as a, an additional thought as it relates to sustainability and concrete? You know, the, the more that I study sustainability, the more I think it's primarily about behavior change. And certainly there are many instances where that seems obvious, you know, getting people to recycle more or to, you know, change the way that they drive or the vehicles that they drive. But in the case of concrete, it probably seems less obvious to people. But to me, it's just as important. 
there are uh, an important set of people who are involved in specifying concrete, that is, in determining which kind of concrete they want in a structure and what should be in it. And usually the specifications are a lot about what should be in the mixture. And that's implicit in terms of what, you, you know, what kind of performance that they want. I think we need to shift a bit more to saying rather than here's exactly what's in the mixture, which to be honest can often lead to higher carbon impact concrete, we need to say here's the performance that we want and also here is a carbon target that we have. And that shifts the the mindset of people who are specifying that concrete, but they're only going to change that behavior that is in terms of how they decide what goes into the concrete if they know that other people are going to share in the risks. And because I think that's frankly what a lot of this is about is that there's just risk aversion on people specifying concrete. And I understand why. Usually when you're using concrete, there's a lot at stake. But I think if we can rally together, I, I tell people that, you know, in order to make a change like that, you need to have a group on board. So for buildings, that includes the architects, engineers, the contractors, the ready mix producers, and the owners. They need to say, hey, this is something that we have as a collective goal, and we want to achieve that, and we're going to work together. Because if just one of them has that goal, it won't happen because someone else on that team who's not on board is going to uh, prevent it. So we need to kind of have that team mentality to try to accomplish this. And um, otherwise, it's just easy to keep doing the same thing. And we know that certainly when it comes to our future and sustainability and climate change, we, we just can't keep doing things in the same way. So it's going to cause that shift. And it's a lot easier to do that when you do that as, as a team. I appreciate your thoughtfulness on this topic or all of these topics, frankly, Jeremy, and, and your leadership in moving the research forward so that we can start to achieve some of these goals and, and accelerate our progress. And ultimately, for the purposes of Concrete Credentials, I really appreciate your making time to join us for today's episode. It was my pleasure. I enjoyed the conversation. Jeremy, thank you very much once again. And finally, today, we'd like to thank you, our listeners. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Concrete Credentials, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. We encourage your participation in this important conversation. Please reach out to us with your thoughts and feedback, as well as your suggestions for future content by emailing concretecredentials at nrmca.org. Thanks very much, and we'll see you all in a couple of weeks.